The coffee is brewed. The cars are moving. It is Friday morning at 7 a.m. It's Roadmap Roundup Friday here on Roadmap to Heaven on Covenant Network. I'm Adam Wright. So happy to be with you this day, every day, every day. You know, you probably get tired of me saying that, but I never tire of telling you how happy I am to be with you in the morning. Let's begin our morning in prayer as we always do. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the holy sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon them. Through the mercy of God, may the souls of the faithful departed rest in peace. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions this day to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, it's been a hot minute since we've had a roadmap roundup because I was out sick last week, and then the week before that it was, uh, you know, we had the guys around, and now it's Ladies Week here on the Roadmap Roundup. Angela Miller, good to have you with us again. Thank you for having me. Good morning. And Corey Grizzle, all the way from St. Charles. All the way from St. Charles. Even missed my exit twice, so I'm here. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, <laughs> well, I have a feeling today's saint could identify with missing, I think so. missing your exit while commuting. <laughs> a couple of times. With a commute involving St. Charles, we should say. We're going to be talking about today's St. St. Rose Philippine to Shen on today's Roadmap Roundup. We're also going to be getting ready for Thanksgiving. And I'm not talking about baking the pies because, let's be honest, I cheat and I get the pre-baked crust. But I do make my own filling. I do make my own filling. Um, We're going to be talking about gratitude and how we can keep cultivating that gratitude each and every day. Plus, Doug Berry is with us to wrap up our week on spiritual warfare. And uh, rumor has it we're going to have a special guest calling in by phone later during the show to uh, talk about what we can learn about evangelization from the upcoming World Cup that starts tomorrow. Yes, I am on a soccer kick this week. Uh, no pun intended on that one. That came out of nowhere. <laughs> that was, great. Um, that was But good. <laughs> I, I am on a soccer theme this weekend. I'm, not, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. Before we can get to any of that, though, let's go to Mike Roberts and find out what the weather has in store for us today. Today is the feast day of St. Rose Philippine Duchenne. Born in France in 1769, she was one of eight children with six sisters and a brother. Her parents were devoted to their faith, but when Rose was 18, she asked her father for permission to enter the visitation convent, and he objected strenuously before finally relenting. However, the terror of the French Revolution kept Rose from entering the convent for more than 11 years. While waiting, she lived according to the rule while serving her family and the sisters imprisoned at the convent. In 1801, the Catholic Church was finally allowed to operate openly again. The convent had been sold to a private owner, but Rose was able to raise money and buy it back. However, it was in such poor condition that most of the sisters who were now elderly had to leave. In 1804, Rose was introduced to Madeline Sophie Barat, founder of the Society of the Sacred Heart. The two became friends immediately, and in 1815, Barat helped Rose establish a convent in Paris for the Sacred Heart, where she opened a school 
and became mistress of novices. In 1817, Bishop de Burgh visited from America and asked for help in educating the children in his diocese. Rose and four sisters received permission to go, and in 1818 made the 10-week journey to New Orleans, only to discover upon arriving that there was no place for them. Undaunted, they traveled up the Mississippi River to St. Louis and finally settled in St. Charles. There, she built the first house of the Society of the Sacred Heart ever established outside France in a log cabin known as Duquette Mansion. She also built the first free school west of the Mississippi. One year later, Bishop de Berg moved the community to Florissant, where Rose opened another school and a novitiate. The area was growing rapidly, but Rose and the other sisters kept pace, and in just eight years, they had expanded to six communities supporting several schools. Then, at the request of the Jesuits, they returned to the log cabin in St. Charles. In 1841, Rose went on a mission to eastern Kansas with the Jesuits, but at the age of 71, she was not quite strong enough anymore, and after a year, she returned to St. Charles, where she taught and prayed for 10 more years while living in a small room under a staircase near the chapel. She died on this day in 1852. St. Rose Philippine Duchenne, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. We are back, and that saint of the day that Mike Roberts just shared about with us, one of our secondary patrons here in the Archdiocese of St. Louis, St. Rose Philippine Duchenne, as uh, some would say, the original pioneer woman. Mm -hmm. No disrespect to Reed Drummond out there, and I almost made a dessert this morning uh, in honor of the pioneer woman, and instead I made coffee, and you're you're lucky (laughs) that I made coffee. I I have to say, Mike Roberts gave us a great biography of uh, Mother Duchenne, but in the one that I was reading to prep for today's segment, I I do want to note this, uh, this paragraph. In her first decade in America, Mother Duchenne suffered practically every hardship the frontier had to offer. Poor lodging, shortages of food, drinking water, fuel and money, forest fires and blazing chimneys, the vagaries of the Missouri climate mm-hmm. Classic. and cramped living quarters. <laughs> I'm like, wow, Missouri weather got listed as Absolutely. a hardship, and, and we all know that. You know, I can't imagine, Corey, uh, you know, living outdoors and then saying, all right, we got to build our house in Missouri climate, whether it's summer or winter or the, the two weeks of spring or fall we seemingly get. And yet, you know, here's a a woman who's thinking, all right, I'm leaving France to go to the New World. Uh, I'm going to go and I'm going to do this. And she arrives in New Orleans and the bishop says, yeah, that's not what you're going to do. I know you just, you know, spent 10, 11 weeks on a ship to get here, but I'm sending you up north to Missouri, which was, you know, might as well go to the ends of the earth at that point. Um, And yet she said yes. She said yes. How does that inspire you? I mean, (laughs) <laughs> to, to see well not to be able to see what is in front of you is is something very daunting um and so yeah i think she just she had such a focus that this is what she wanted to do and and she didn't stop until she got to see those indians and um if you read her her biography so um i went to the academy of sacred heart my mother was a docent for that shrine for many, many years. When she was canonized in 1988, they, they opened the shrine to the public. And, 
And so my mother would sit in the shrine at her designated hour every week and um, while she's waiting for, for visitors and read this this biography of her and she would come home with all these stories. And so, um, but she was very determined, very determined to get to those Indians. And so I don't, I think she didn't care. She didn't care what was in her way. She was going to spread the good news. Yeah. Well, Angela, what about you? Yeah, I, I've been reflecting a lot on um, how our intellect, our passions, and our will kind of interact. And um, I'm just seeing how this this woman has such, I mean, we talk about will sometimes is like hard-headedness, but this is a will that's like moving her to do the Lord's call for her. Um, and I mean, I I can really pray to have that kind of will um, if I'm sometimes a little more um, in touch with my passions. Um, <laughs> if I really want to sleep in in a morning, I can think of St. Rose um, and her. I mean, she was not a spring chicken when she was making <laughs> her home uh, in Missouri. And, and so it takes that will and that drive and that perseverance and that also that trust in the Lord um, to be able to, to make to really move a lot of things that happened um, and a lot of good work that she did uh, for the Lord in Missouri. It, it's hard for me sometimes to think about, yes, you know, like here I am, Lord, send me. I want to, I, I come to do your will. Classic Psalm 40, right? And, and how often we sing that. Here I am, Lord, send me. I've, I've come to do your will. When and, and that's easy when I think that my will and God's will are aligned. Like, you know, Adam, I want you to go and play music for this and you love playing music and go there and do that. All right. Easy to say yes. Adam, I want you to go home and make jello that you hate to make for your wife who's not feeling great or take the trash out or the recycle bins are overflowing and you need to take your recycling instead of to the alley, to the car and drive it to the recycle dumpster because you don't want your children to be having to look at a kitchen full of recycle that's piled up over a week and a half. You know, the mundane things of doing God's will sometimes in the everyday, ordinary living, it's hard to get excited. And yet here's Mother Duchenne who said, all right, this isn't necessarily what I set out to do, but it's where God's calling me. So off we go. Now, another characteristic we love about St. Rose Philippine Duchenne (laughs) is her devotion to our Lord. I mean, talk about wanting to be close to our Lord. If you've ever been, and I have not, I need to get to the shrine of St. Ferdinand up in Florissant. Um, But my daughter went there and they're like, dad, they showed us a closet where Mother Duchenne would sleep because she wanted to be close to Jesus. And the the chapel was on the other side of the wall and her room wasn't. So she slept in the closet so she could be close to Jesus. Mm -hmm. I'm like, do I have the desire in my heart? (laughs) No. What what do I need to do to get there? (laughs) Wow. That's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, do I, do I hope that one day I would have that? Um, yes, but also can I hope that I have that now? <laughs> can I can I pray for that sort of devotion now? I mean, as I was looking through, I'm sure this is fam- famous to many people who live in Missouri, um, but that the Native Americans called her she who prays always. Um, I, I have to imagine that that was her way of praying even in her sleep, you know, to be so close to the Lord that that even her sleep was in, in union with him. Um, yeah, I, I, how do we even get to that point? I mean, um, ask for it. It has to be a grace um, to, to want to love the Lord that much. And um, yeah, I mean, everything that, 
that we have all of our desires come from God. And if we need a strengthening in our desires, a strengthening to be close to him, a desire to be close to him, then we need to ask for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She was definitely, um, historically, uh, someone who was, um, very important in our Missouri area. Um, like I said, I grew up at at the Academy of Sacred Heart, went all nine years or eight years, I guess there, but, um, but, the story of her and uh, the Native Americans when she finally made it to Sugar Creek, she was kneeling in the uh, in the chapel, praying, and um, and the the little children put leaves on her skirt. So she was actually kneeling. She wasn't praying in her sleep. I don't think so. She was kneeling, and they put the leaves on her skirt because they said when they go to bed they'd see her there. When they wake up they'd see her there. Wow. Does she sleep? We don't know. So they put leaves on her skirt. She came in, and and in the morning, the leaves were still there. She had not moved. So I don't urban legend, whatever. But the devotion was there. Like that's that's the type of devotion that that they saw her every day. And I think she worked all of these things. And if you hear about the things that she had to do when she when it was when the Missouri River was frozen over, and she had to go get water for her sisters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they had to go with the buckets and chisel out the ice and. Um, the the stories are amazing but yeah when those when those children walked in and saw those leaves still there they just they were astonished and said ah kwakakanumad that was the name that was the the and she never she never figured out that any language she could not figure out english she could not figure out the potawatomi she could (laughs) so it was kwakakanumad was the woman who prays always and that was her devotion it was it was miracles sprinkled in with all of the prayer that she had I, I, I've heard that story. I've heard it as a uh, kernel of corn, that they would place corn mm. kernels. But leaves, corn kernels, leaves. The, mm-hmm. the, the message is the same. I think the real question for you and I is this, though. You know, We aren't talking about, am I going to go sleep in the closet of my house? Because there's the only thing on the other side of the closet is, well, the kid's closet. You know, I don't have a chapel <laughs> in my house. But what are those things between God and I in my life, metaphorically? You know, is it... What's keeping me from the adoration chapel? Is it, oh, well, I really want to go out with my friends. Well, can I go out with my friends later or can maybe a different day so that I can go make a holy hour today? Oh, well, you know, I know they need someone to do the uh, 1 a.m. hour in the adoration chapel, but I really like to sleep. Um, <laughs> well, maybe you could give up that sleep to go do the 1 a.m. adoration hour. Maybe it's that daily examination of conscience, you know, every day looking at your day and saying, all right, here are all the areas where I could have drawn closer to God and said, here I am, I come to do your will, and yet I failed miserably. So tomorrow, these are the things I'm going to look to remove from my life uh, as we we try to eliminate everything between God and us. Uh, Corey, you know, as you've mentioned several times, you went to the Academy <laughs> of the Sacred Heart. You brought with uh, with you a prayer today that mm-hmm. we're going to close out this segment with. Uh, tell us a little bit about this prayer. So this prayer, uh, I found it again on the novena um, to St. Philippine Duchenne, um, and we affectionately call her Philippine <laughs> so, because that's a whole story. But um, so this one, actually, when I went to Duchenne High School in St. Charles, um, we read this prayer over the intercom every morning. So it's one of those things that when you start saying Philippine Duchenne, you immediately say the first two lines. I'm not sure anybody who graduated could say the whole prayer by, by memorizing, but definitely this is something that brings you back to to sitting there in the morning. So Let's that, pray. There. In the name of the Father, and of the <laughs> Son, and of the Holy, the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Philippine Duchenne, you were a pioneer woman called to join a pioneer endeavor, to explore, to begin, to expand the educational frontiers of a new world. Each of us, as a Duchenne pioneer, asks that through your intercession, we be able to face our frontiers, 
and meet the challenge of being pioneers. As boundaries appear before us, help us to stop, step gently over despair and fashion a resurrection realm, a hope-hallowed world. Help us follow your model as we strive for a world which we cannot explain, risk our lives to find new life, challenge social patterns which give false comfort, enter the heart of the one who is beginning and end, share in the restlessness of the spirit, and become instruments of peace. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A beautiful prayer, a beautiful inspiration for us uh, that begs the question, how is God calling you to live your vocation today? You know, is he sending you to the remotest village, as Mother Duchenne called St. Charles, the remotest <laughs> village in the U.S.? Um, or is he sending you just into the everyday ordinary with your loved ones, with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers? How are you called to do God's will? It's something to meditate upon today. We're going to take a break. When we come back, um, Doug Berry is going to be with with us. So let's queue up a song here and um, we'll have more roadmap roundup after that. But uh, again, we'll take a break, then Doug Berry, and then we'll be back with you a little bit after that. A prayer for the gift of wisdom. Great is the wisdom of the Lord. God Almighty, your wisdom includes an understanding of what is fair, what is logical, what is true, what is right, and what is lasting. It mirrors your pure intellect. I entreat you to grant me such wisdom that my labors may reflect your insight. Your wisdom expands in your creations, displaying complexity and multiplicity. Your wisdom is an eternity ahead of man. May your wisdom flourish forever. Amen. Doug Barry and I have been talking about spiritual warfare once again this week, and there was a point in my life that I didn't take this seriously, and now I take it very seriously. Because I've come to realize it's not just my life at stake. It's the lives of everyone I love. And I'm not talking about life on this earth so much as I'm talking about eternal consequences. And we said yesterday, if you've been tuning in and saying, well, I don't know, tune in today. We're going to talk about why engage in this. So, Doug, after everything we've said and could say about spiritual warfare, you know, I think that's the question is why engage? You know, it, it's interesting when we look at that question, you know, face value, there are people out there who don't take their own safety very seriously, but they would for a loved one, sometimes, normally, much more readily than themselves. This is the sort of thing where, you know, I've seen, you know, I've heard parents and talked to parents about this who, you know, when they, when it comes to teaching their children how to drive, for example, their teenager how to drive. You know, they were adamant with them. Don't text and drive and, and don't have the music up too loud and keep both hands on the wheel. And, and then they don't do that themselves. And especially when no one's in the car, they'll admit, oh, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I text and drive. I know I shouldn't, you know, and yeah, I got one hand hanging out the window here and I got my hamburger in my other hand over here and I'm trying to steer with my knees. I mean, I've heard stories like this. One guy, he would drive to work in the morning and he'd steer the car with his knees while he's eating his cereal, you know, but he would never do it in front of his kids. What we do, and as crazy as that sounds, it's also very dangerous, and you're putting other people's lives at risk. Just Let's just establish that, first of all. Uh, but we, oftentimes, when someone you love is brought into the picture, that changes the situation entirely. When I've talked, to use the example of physical self-defense, and I've talked about this a lot because I, I, I teach it and train it, just very basic entry-level stuff for the average person out there trying to help. And I always say, look, if someone kicks in your door in the middle of the night or even the middle of the day, and you have to engage the bad guy, how ready are you to do that? I've heard this, oh, you know what? If it's my time to go, then it's my time to go. 
you know, if God wants me to go, we're going to die anyway. May as well just look, I, you know, cause I don't know how to fight. I wouldn't know what to do. I just wouldn't. Okay. Let's say your child is in the living room or your child is in the bedroom and somebody kicks in the door and tries to steal your child. What would you do? Are you kidding me? I rip their eyeballs out and I would, and now they're all ready to go because it's someone that they love. And that's so common. I hear that all the time. If it's just for themselves, maybe not for others. Yeah, that's different. Let's look at this spiritually. If there is a spiritual attack against you, and if you go down, then those under your care are that much more susceptible. For men, for example, we could focus on any of the top key things that men really struggle with predominantly in the world. We hear pornography being one of the big ones. We also hear greed, worldliness, status, finances. I'm so focused on my job, my job, my job, my job, my job, my job, to the point where I'm never home for my family. And then you've got other issues. The pornography is a major one, obviously, for a lot of guys out there. And it is for some women, too, but it's a big issue for a lot of guys out there. Look, if pornography gets a hold of you and wrecks you, I promise you, everybody in your family, in your life, those entrusted to your care will feel the impact of that. Somehow, they're going to feel that. They're going to be affected by that. It can wreck so much. You have got to engage in that battle. If you become greedy and focused on work and you're a workaholic, your whole family, those in trust, they're going to feel the impact of that. We could go on and on and on. Ladies, the same for you with whatever vice out there that the enemy can throw at you. If you do not fight that vice, those entrusted to your care will feel the impact of you being taken out on that battlefield. Just as a bad guy kicks in the door, and if I don't know what I'm doing, and that bad guy wants to go through me to get to my wife or my kids or my grandkids, and I don't know how to fight, then my wife, my kids, my grandkids, they're all in a real, real bad situation now because I do not know how to engage the enemy that's trying to hurt me and them. The enemy is not focusing just on your soul. This diabolical enemy that wants to wreck you, it's not just about you. In fact, I've heard it put very clearly from men who are, from Father Chad Ripperger, who we've interviewed several times on our podcast, U.S. Grace Force, or, or other individuals out there who are involved in spiritual um, deliverance ministry work, who work in the Catholic realm very faithfully. They will say that if the devil can get to the husband and wife and separate them, he can get to the children between them. Don't think that it's just you. It's not just you or your spouse. It's wreck your whole marriage so he can get to your children and grandchildren and generations to come. Don't ever think that this battle is just about you. It is about you and me individually trying to ruin our souls, but it is also about the collateral damage of those around us that God has intricately put into our lives. They are just as susceptible, and that's, and that's one of the reasons we have got to be on our best game in this fight. Yeah, to talk to the men specifically for a moment, and Doug, you and I have brought this up before. If you look at the statistics of families where dad is engaged in the spiritual life of the home, how much more the children go on to practice their faith and take it seriously. It's overwhelming. When dad doesn't engage, it's abysmal how Mm -hmm. seriously the spiritual life is taken by the kids as they grow up. And it's one of those things that, sadly, I've met too many dads. Well, my wife takes them to church, and I'm glad she does. It's good for them, and I'm glad they're there. That's good for them. But I I don't need to worry about it. It's like, all right, well, fine. If that's really how much you value your kids, good for you. Right, right. Yeah, and those numbers, you're right. Those studies are clear. There are several of them out there, and those numbers can be as as distant as 
when the woman is a spiritual head of the home, she's doing the main work and the, the husband is just kind of there or not there at all. You're talking about 20%, maybe, of the kids remaining active in the faith and living a good life when they become adults. When the dad is the spiritual leader, it's 85 to 90% in that range. And I've seen different numbers, but it's that different. So men, we have to understand, this does not in any way negate or in, dispel the woman's role at all, not at all. This shows, though, the role of that father and the spiritual impact that his life has on his children and his wife, too. I mean, come on, guys. Let's stop with excuses. Let's stop with any reasoning of, well, you know, it's just not that my thing, you know. I've heard this so many times over the years. I've given, again, hundreds and hundreds of talks all over the country. People come up, oh, I know my dad loved us, but his faith was a private thing. He kept it to himself. And I've said in many men's conferences I've spoken at over the years, you do not have that luxury as a man to keep it to yourself. You get married, you've got to be out there on the front lines as that warrior to be that, in, not just that example, but also that spiritual impact. Even though all of my children, by the way, have moved out of the house, they are in my daily rosary every single day. That's thus daily. Daily rosary every, every time. Please, God be with my children, my grandchildren. I am praying for them every day. I know a man, a grandfather, didn't meet him personally, but I know the story that he was a retired man. He had, I think, five or six kids, and he had at the time like seven or eight grandkids. He prayed one rosary every day for each of his children and grandchildren. Okay, that's a man who's taken the battle seriously. We've got to be engaging in this fight. Our kids, our grandkids, our family needs to know this, men. And ladies, for you, you're the heart of the home, ladies. You are the heart. Lay that, may that heart beat strong with the blood of Christ because the people in your life are deeply influenced and affected by the way you take seriously the spiritual battle. Indeed, indeed. Well, Doug, this has been a, a great week, and I think you summed it up the way my doctor said it to me once. If not for you, Adam, think of your wife and think of your children. Uh, so nice. if we're not going to engage in spiritual warfare for our own sake, let's do it for those we love. And I have a feeling that once you do, you're going to see what's going on, and you're going to engage for your own sake as well. So Amen. that's it for Doug Barry and I this week in this month of November as we are preparing for death. And, we, you know, memento mori. We all have to take out the trash, we all have to pay taxes, and we all have to die someday, Doug. So uh, let's get ready for all three here. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, Doug, thanks for being with us. We're going to take a break. Stay tuned. Prayer in a time of waiting. All-powerful and ever-living God, guard our churches, our homes, our schools, our hospitals, our factories, and all the places where we gather. Deliver us from harm and peril. Protect our land and the peoples from enemies within and without. Grant an early peace with victory founded upon justice. Instill in the hearts and minds of men and women everywhere a firm purpose to live forever in peace and goodwill toward all. This we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. 
You know, every year there's a big debate about what are we bringing to Thanksgiving dinner, and I have to pick between investing my time in a dessert or investing my time in a side dish because I'll do one easy and the other one I'll just uh, really spend some time on. I have to say for me, it's this year it's going to be cheesy potatoes. No one's put it on the menu, and I'm bringing it. That's it. So, Corey, what's your go-to? What's your favorite thing at the so Thanksgiving dinner? So my favorite is not my kids, but I have to make it every year to actually have just a little bit. It's it's sweet potatoes. All right. and the, Yeah, just sweet potatoes and and marshmallows, that's it. Angela? My husband is the chef in my family, and so he likes to try something new every single year, and I just love what he invents. All right, there you go. Well, we didn't come here today to talk about food, uh, although I love talking about food. We we are getting ready for Thanksgiving, and uh, you know we're always trying to give you things that you can implement in your house. What are practical things? So those of you with children or without children... Pay attention to what Corey's got to say, because you have a Thanksgiving tradition called the Thanksgiving Box. Thanksgiving Box. And I hope my mother is listening, which I'm sure she's not. (laughs) I'll send her the podcast later. But it's just, I don't know where this came from, but probably from her, because she's just creative. So just a regular shoebox. She covered it in that contact paper from the 70s, the 80s. I don't know. It was like brown and looked like paneling. But it had a slit in the top, and I probably wrote on it when I was nine, Thanksgiving Box in red. And it came out every single year. And we had little tiny pieces of paper set out because we had a family business. So these little tiny messenger papers from the phone side. And um, every day, we, throughout the day, we would write down what we were thankful for. So when I was little, I put things like, I'm thankful for the trees. I'm thankful for the sun. I'm thankful for my brother, you know, because I wanted the most in there, right? <laughs> and then as the family grew and we got older, like there were a lot of pregnancy announcements in there. We're thankful for baby number four. <laughs> So it was really it was really a great tradition. And then after we all ate and before uh, games and dessert, then we would sit around um, the uh, sit around the whole table and we had a big family. And so we'd sit around the huge table and just pass the Thanksgiving box around and everybody would read one. So you'd laugh at the trees and the stars and then you'd try to guess who was the one with the pregnancy announcement or who wrote this stupid one or who. So they're unsigned, unsigned, unsigned papers. Right. right. But, you know, you tried to guess by handwriting or how how did that change the dynamic of of, or not change the dynamic of dinner? But what did that add to your family coming together? Because I know, like you said, big family, a lot of people. Um, does that bring a lot of joy, a lot of laughter, a lot of closeness? Or oh, yeah. Is it one of yeah. those, are we, are we through with this yet? Is Grandma <laughs> really making us do it? Well, we did eventually like drop the tradition because there were so many kids. My, my mom has 33 grandchildren. So um, because there were so many people around the table, it, it, it did get dropped, you know, and, and it got modified. But but it, it was really nice because we took the time. We all sat around and we all just did that. And we had conversation in between. And yeah, it was just because it was a day of just taking time to, to be with each other. So it was one more thing to do, which was really nice. All right. So all you need, a shoebox. You don't even need 1970s contact paper. No, Regular old wrapping paper will work or construction paper. Have contact paper made it last for at least 15 years, though. So. Wow. <laughs> there could be nuclear fallout. The contact paper would still be around. I love it. Angela, you know, you and I talk often about cultivating gratitude in our yeah. lives, though, and, yeah. and the good that that does. And I'm just curious... Um, you know, people think young adults always have it easy. We don't. We have our ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Um, how does cultivating gratitude throughout the year, saying, "Lord, I'm thankful for X, Y, or Z," help you during life's difficult times? Right. I think it's really easy for at least me and maybe other people um, to look at the negative things in my life, um, and um, they just pop up, and I start to notice them, and then that's what I think my life is like. Um, and when I take the time to like actually think of what are the things I'm grateful for in life, um, there's a shift and I start to, to trust God a little bit more. So I'll give an example. Um, 
every night my husband and I uh, share one thing that we were thankful for from the other person that day. Um, and I noticed the difference before and after that I I am closer to my husband. I'm more thankful, of course. Um, and I'm seeing how God is working in our lives. And there's this relationship that grows not only between us, but between God and I to say, oh, wow, you actually are providing for me. Like, I don't just know that in my head, but I'm seeing it happen. Um, and so it, it shifts your your interior, your heart. And um, yeah, I mean, grat- when when the hard things come, I can look back and say, well, actually, I know for a fact that God's been providing for me because I've been thanking him for it for so long. And what may be a shock to absolutely zero of the married couples listening today, uh, apparently married couples married couples squabble from time to time. Oh, it's a new what? word my kids brought into our vocabulary, squabble. That's crazy. Uh, on, on the days that, that you and Greg may be squabbling, uh, yeah. how does doing this help you with the reconciliation with one another. Oh, it changes it. Cause, cause then you're ending the day <laughs> on, on a note where, okay, like, yes, this thing happened or this argument happened, but, but we care more about each other. We care more about finding what's good. And, um, even if it's something really minor, like I'm really thankful for the back rub you gave me today. You know, it was all, it's always good to end with that. Would it be fair to say that the days that you might be at odds with one another, uh, again, shock, surprise, that, that happens in marriage, um, mm-hmm. that those are the days we're taking the time to really say, all right, I'm going to look for something that I'm grateful for in my spouse today matters the most? Oh, yeah, because it cools off the steam. Yeah. <laughs> it's It, it just, um, yeah, it it sets the scene for the next day it changes the tone of the evening and i actually go to bed more in peace okay so. well one last thing for you on thanksgiving here and uh you know any minute now we're expecting a phone call from our mystery guest today um we haven't had a mystery guest before mm. i'm getting kind of excited about this um one of the things i'm grateful for this thanksgiving as we talk about family is this and, and this is one of the the fruits i think of the covid disruption that we didn't have thanksgiving dinner together two years ago and last year we were kind of easing back into it and this year we decided you know what we have all these things that we've made ourselves do because you know that's what we do on thanksgiving that we're just letting go of this year you know you have to have pie on thanksgiving well no one likes pie and then we all fight about well what pie are we going to have because we we all like our own pie no one likes the same pie and finally my mother-in-law said you know what we all like cookies and the grandkids all like cookies and brownies so we're making cookies and we're making brownies and if you want pie bring it yourself but what's provided is going to be cookies and brownies and someone else said, you know, I don't really like this food, so I'm going to make this and bring it. And it's turned into this giant Thanksgiving potluck where we've wow. uh, set aside the traditional side dishes, and we're just bringing the stuff we love. And I'm actually really, really excited about coming together because everybody's favorite dishes we all enjoy, but you have one here for that person's birthday or that couple's celebration. And, you know, it's okay to set some of these things aside um, and and do new things. You don't have to do things just for the sake of we've always done it that way. Mm-hmm. It uh, would appear to me that our, our mystery guest is with us. We're happy to welcome to the show Father John Schneier, associate pastor out at Incarnate Word in Chesterfield. Father, it's so good to have you with us today. Thank you so much, Adam. It's a joy to be with you as well. Well, like me, I couldn't help but notice that the other night you were at the inaugural soccer match at the uh, new St. Louis City Park. What a wonderful thing that was to see our region come together. And, uh, you know, the World Cup starts tomorrow, so tomorrow the world starts coming together. And 
soccer is one of those things, especially in our St. Louis history, when we had the, the language barriers of the different ethnic communities. Uh, the church and soccer were the two things that brought people together. There are some lessons we can, <laughs> there are some lessons we can learn about evangelization from this, and, and I want to just let you take it away. Well, well, thank you, thank you again so much for having me on. Um, yeah, it, it's uh, the, the World Cup is one of the it, it, I think it's the biggest, the single biggest sporting event on the planet. Um, which is quite remarkable. You know, it only comes around once every four years, and it's just a great uh, sporting event that we get to watch. Uh, but, but you're right. I think there, there's a lot of great parallels uh, between what we're about to witness here over the next month and uh, just the need to bring people together in unity. Um, now, obviously, we in our Catholic faith have greater sources of unity than a ball and a goal and a trophy. Um, thankfully, we do. Um, but it, but it's so interesting because part of part of what evangelization is that it's bringing people together around a common cause and then helping people to love that greater thing that that sort of transcendent third um, as as Aristotle would say you know when you have two friends uh, getting together over something the, the relationship is strengthened when there is a transcendent third in the middle that one can. Uh, that both of them can love, and by loving that, they, they love each other. Um, again, relationships centered around soccer or any other thing. Um, but, of course, in our Catholic faith, we know that the transcendent third is God. Um, you know, that, that's the thing, that if our friendships and relationships are centered around God, uh, then by loving God, we also love our friends. Um, yeah. and, and I think that it's such an important thing, so just to recognize that this is how relationships start. Father, I've heard it said that one of the things about evangelization is that we go in through the door that the you know that the person opens with the you know we go in through their door, but we intend to go out through Christ's door. If if, if that makes sense, uh, we got to work oh, with yeah. the openings that we're given. And so I think of some of my friends that I look at their lives and 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 I just I I, I see the thirst for that truth that they you know maybe haven't identified as the importance of their faith. And if I said, hey, come with me to come with me to Mass, which is the ultimate goal, to get them to Mass, um, right. to get them into relationship with our Lord. If I said that, they'd be like, yeah, no thanks. But if I said, well, hey, why don't you come over and we can watch the uh, soccer match, that might be the beginning of walking in through their door with the ultimate aim of inviting them to come out through Christ's door. Oh, absolutely. As I always say, I don't care what gets you in the door. I care about why you stay. Um, I mean, it, that's why that's why youth groups just you know feed the kids with pizza every week. I mean, you know, it, it we have to begin on you know the mundane uh, because oftentimes, yeah, that is where people are. Uh, but to move from the mundane, to move from the ordinary to the supernatural, uh, is is eventually the goal. Um, and yeah, I mean, just to talk soccer with people. I mean, this is probably going to be. Your water cooler talk for the next month or so. Oh, did you see that match? Did you see that one highlight? Um, but yeah, just to just to begin with, you know, the commonalities that we do have, and then go to something deeper. Um, as I, as I've told people, evangelization is really no different than talking baseball or talking soccer with people. Um, it, it's no different than that. When you share with someone your love of, you know, say Cardo baseball or watching the World Cup. Uh, what you're doing is basically being an evangelist for that thing. Um, and that's, that's what it's all about. I mean, the early apostles were just, were just simply sharing their love of Jesus with others, sharing with people what the love of God meant in their life, sharing with people 
um, just the experiences that they had and inviting them to experience the same thing. Um, that's what evangelization is. It doesn't require any specialized training or anything, and it's not something that we priests uh, should only be doing. It's something for everyone and as easy as just talking sports. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't help but think of how many people I've had the conversation with over the last two days. Oh, my goodness, you should have seen the soccer stadium. You should have heard the drums and the chants yeah. and, and the cheers, and it didn't matter who you were. We were all one group that night united together. Well, do I do that with, oh, my goodness, I can't wait to tell you how God worked in our family today or this blessing that we received or this assistance overcoming a trial that we received. Um, you know, for those of you who aren't sports fans, how often do you text your friend and say, hey, I went out to dinner last night and you wouldn't believe this new restaurant it's off the hook you got to get there yeah yeah exactly i mean even just talking about what food you had or um even just some dumb video you saw on the internet that made you laugh i mean whatever that is we we talk about these things and encourage other people to enter into them um that, that's at the bare bones what evangelization is um yeah. and, and we have to get better at it we're not familiar with it i mean how, why is it so much easier for us to talk about you know, the, the new St. Louis City Stadium versus talking about faith in the same way. Um, you know, it, it's a hard question, sure, but it's one that we, we need to answer, especially, you know, with all things new. Like, like we yeah. have to become better at this. That's one of the biggest goals of the entire thing. Right. Well, Father Schneier, I want to thank you for being with us today. We're going to run out of time here in a moment, but uh, perhaps you could lead us in a prayer for unity and a prayer for evangelization. Sure, absolutely. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, through the inspiration of the Twelve Apostles, the faith of our Catholic Church has spread through every corner of the world. We pray, Lord, that we might be evangelists for you, not just evangelists of the things that make up our day-to-day -day lives, but evangelists for you. Help us to spread your message of love. Help us to spread the, your message of truth. Help us to spread the gospel to those around us. In all the ordinary and mundane things of our life, Lord, we pray that we might always bring you with us. We pray that we might make you known and loved throughout the world. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. May Almighty God bless all of you who are listening, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father Schneier. Uh, we're going to take a break here on Roadmap to Heaven, get you the weather, and then we'll have the daily dose of encouragement for you. Stay tuned. A prayer to the Archangel Gabriel. O blessed Archangel Gabriel, we beseech thee, do thou intercede for us at the throne of divine mercy in our present necessities that, as thou didst denounce to Mary the mystery of the Incarnation, so through thy prayers and patronage in heaven we may obtain the benefits of the same and sing the praise of God forever in the land of the living. Amen. Well, we've made it to the end of the week. We are talking about preparing for death on the Daily Dose of Encouragement this week. And Patty is with us to wrap things up. Patty, what is your last encouragement for us today? As we wind up the week, I want to turn our thoughts to our perspective regarding death. And I heard a talk by Deacon Keating at the seminary, and he spoke beautifully about this topic. And he said, there are two ways to die. For those without faith... They go kicking and screaming because everything is being taken away from them. Because everything is being taken away from them, and it's the end. But for those who have faith, they have peace and joyful hope because everything is being given to them. Think about that. 
Everything is being given, all your hopes, dreams, desires, all your loved ones. Again, that you will see all the gifts of this world and more. So a whole new life is just beginning. So the question for us today is, how do you want to die? Kicking and screaming as if everything is being taken away from you? Or do you want to die with joyful hope, more expectation, actually with joy? We've been given this time here and now to prepare, prepare well. And we do that by thinking about death, not avoiding it, but thinking about it and praying for the grace to prepare and to die well in faith. I always remember the man who trained me to be an altar server. Mr. Maher would say, Adam, there are three things certain in life. You got to pay taxes. You got to take out the trash. And you got to die. So get ready for all three. Patty, this has been a great week on the Daily Dose of Encouragement. As we go into this Thanksgiving week, one other thing we don't want to lose sight of is that even beyond Thanksgiving, this coming Sunday is the feast of our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the universe. And what does that mean for our Lord to be the King of your heart? And quite frankly, for me, I hope it means that if our Lord says, Adam, go here, that my answer is not, well, wait a minute, hold on, are you sure about that? That my answer is, yes, Lord, like Mother Duchenne, Mm -hmm. I will go where you send me. And so it's a very foreign concept for us as Americans to think of a monarch and a king and what that really means. But I mean, think of what we saw earlier this year with the death of Queen Elizabeth II and uh, how the world reacted to the death of a monarch of the earthly realm and not of the the supernatural realm. Um, So what does that mean for you? Well, perhaps this Sunday, perhaps this Sunday, Maybe it's been a while since you've dressed up for going to Mass, that, you know, everybody in the parish has been kind of wearing business casuals, or you're like, okay, maybe I won't wear a tie. Well, maybe this is the week to wear a tie and and dress for the King, Mm. to go out of the ordinary, because Sunday Mass is out of the ordinary. There's nothing ordinary about it. So, uh, you know, I'm not saying ball gowns and tuxedos, but I'm saying dress different than you dress other days of the week. Dress up for our Lord. And uh, that might mean some planning. Lay it out the night before. If I want to wear a tie and a dress shirt, I better make sure they're steamed, which means Saturday night or Saturday afternoon, I have to get the ironing board out or the steamer out and get that going. Um, Just one simple thing. It also means setting aside the rest of Sunday. Now, I know many work in those professions that it's hard to make Sunday a complete day of rest. The nurses out there, the doctors, the first responders, um, there are those who, you know, and, and, and Holy Mother Church understands that. But for me, there is no reason that I need to be doing servile work on Sunday. And the king said, make the day a day in honor of me, a day of family, a day of recreation that starts with worship of me. Am I going to say, well, you know, king, I'll, I'll go to mass for you. But I got to get this other stuff done, too. And even though the king said, no, today is a day that you make set apart. So what's going to set that day apart for you? And last but not least, we hope you take something from today. So whether that's that Thanksgiving box, whether that's initiative to evangelize, whether it's through side dishes or soccer in the coming (laughs) week, um, you know, these are all opportunities for us. But remember, the goal is not just to meet our friends and neighbors and family members where they are 
and stay there. It's to call them deeper into relationship. And that starts with prayer. I think especially of a nearby parish that has the St. Monica's Club. And it's a wonderful ministry where the parents of children who have left the church, you know, and we, we've all heard about them. How do we get my kids, my adult kids to come back to Mass? How do I get them to bring my grandkids to Mass? Well, the St. Monica's Club, first and foremost, they gather Wednesday evenings with the Holy Hour at the parish to pray for their loved ones, to pray for their children. It wasn't Monica that brought Augustine back to the church. It was God who brought Augustine to the church. It was Monica who kept talking to God and saying, please, please, please bring my son to the church. So maybe instead of those conversations this week, and if you have the opening for invitation, by all means, invite your friends and your loved ones to Mass. Invite them deeper into relationship. But start first and foremost with prayer. I'm going to get off my soapbox now, and uh, well, let's just take a minute to pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our Lady, Our Lady Queen of all saints. Pray for us. Saint Joseph, terror of demons. Pray for us. And Saint Rose Philippine Duchenne. Pray, pray for in us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, last question for you. Uh, is it a football day for the, the Grizzle household on Thursday, or is it uh, just a family day? It's on. The it's football on. is definitely on. But, right. um, yeah, I mean, Todd likes to watch it. Todd likes to watch it. And then, Angela, <laughs> you, you said something that intrigued me. It's also baked ziti on Thanksgiving. I'm an Italian, so I'm going to try and bring my baked ziti, but we'll see right. what happens. If, if they don't want it, you can drop it by my house All and right. I, I will happily eat some baked ziti. I love a good baked ziti. We are going to be with you next week on Roadmap to Heaven starting Monday, uh, going all the way through Wednesday, and then we're going to take Thursday off, but Friday of next week, we're not going to take off. We actually have a very special roadmap roundup for you featuring three wonderful women from the Archdiocese of St. Louis, Nancy Werner, Joyce Jones, and Laura Costa, who are going to be reflecting on family traditions as well as getting ready for Advent and what it means to prepare for the coming of our Lord. Uh, Little secret, we do tape that one in advance, and we taped it the other day, and those who are in the studio for it have remarked it's worth tuning into, and it will also be up on our podcast. So next week, join us for Roadmap to Heaven and get ready for our my favorite special of the year, the Thanksgiving podcast. For Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. Pray your rosary today.